This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity is turning the lead massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris. Oh, shoot. I was trying to think of a good intro, and this is my intro. Hello. And botched it. I'm Jesse. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast, the premier geology podcast. Woo. How's everyone doing today? You guys doing all right? I'm feeling uh, great. Yeah. High on the hog. To semi-great. <laughs> You know, all right not saying awesome but you know fairly good yeah after i after i ate food i feel much better mm. i did have a handful of cheese that's about 20 seconds ago so i'm feeling pretty good myself yeah you're good for about five minutes and then you'll probably start i guarantee you're not even going to realize what you're going to do in the middle of the podcast you'll just start crunching the cheese it's never i am a consummate <laughs> professional my friend <laughs> that... all right anyway let's get us back on track Back yeah. on track. We got an action-packed show today. We're going to try something new today. So this is uh, the first first installment of a two-part episode. At least two parts. At least. We'll see how far we get today. Because yes, know, we got an outline. We know where we're going with this, but you know we yeah. have fun too. You know, and if uh, we go off on some tangents, and so be it, right? But we're talking about coal today, ladies and gentlemen. I took I brought up my coal hat just for this episode, and uh, so. How we got this set up, we're going to shoot for today. The first episode today is going to be kind of just about the kind of how does coal form, kind of more like the, you know, more of the geology side of things. I guess the whole thing's geology, really. But, uh, you know, how it forms and, and how we use it, uh, kind of a little bit of the history behind it, I guess. And then uh, next week, we are going to talk, do a whole episode on the environmental impacts of coal. So. Cool. Now, I, before we get started, uh, why why do you have a coal hat, and where did oh, you get a coal hat? I found it. I got it at a gas station in West Virginia. There's no story about it. I just <laughs> all right. Be, I was Enough. in West Virginia. I saw it in a gas station. I was like, not only is it blaze orange, but it has camo on the uh, on the brim. Oh, I wasn't sure if the brim was just like salty, dirty. You know, uh, sometimes yeah. hats get salty. Yeah, no, that's dirty. that's that's camo. So it's just coal. <laughs> nice. it's just, it was just the whole package. I was like, this is. I have to, I have to own this hat. So, boy. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, coal. So, coal is. I mean, it's turned into a topic that's gotten very political over. Well, it's all. I, I guess it really, really got political. We'll talk a little bit about that over the the last uh, ten years or so. With uh, some of the the coal lobbyists getting involved and stuff like that, but. Uh, let's let's kick things off the top before we get into the politics and, and stuff like that. I, 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 the, the point of this uh, podcast is not the point of this episode is not to get into the politics of things. I'm, I, you know, we're just trying to. Portray well, the facts. I'm out. You're out. So. I'm out. I was, right, so was going to sit on my high horse and talk about all the great things about coal. But now I'm kidding. That's Thornberry. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Jesse was and, born and raised in the bosom of coal country. <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, I don't know. I thought of the idea. I was like, you know, let's, let, I don't know why it, it popped in my head to do an episode about coal, but it's kind of, you know, it's definitely a geology topic. And, and we definitely, I don't think we've even come close to 
touching this topic. We've mentioned it a couple times, maybe throughout. Yeah, we have mentioned over, it, but over the years, but I know uh, exactly why you brought it up because you wanted to just tickle Jesse's fancy. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to just, you know, yeah. wind them up and just let them go. Let's, I appreciate let's, you let's... staying on my good side. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what we're here for. All right. So, how does coal form, Chris? Well, coal comes from uh, it, it, it forms from like uh, swampy environments. Or, or you can also get it forming from like uh, estuaries. Uh, any, you, what you need, number one, are, is vegetation. Coal comes from vegetation, all right? And you need this vegetation for it to die. And then the, other, the trick is to get coal forming. You don't want this stuff to decompose. So that's why we get coal forming in these anoxic environments. All right. So like things like, like, let's say like a, like a swamp, for example, some, think of something like the Everglades, like the bayous of Louisiana, something, something like that, or it's just yeah, where standing, the, lots of standing water, saturated ground. low energy, the water is not low really energy. Moving. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when it's, <clears throat> and the reason it's anoxic is because, because the water is not moving or moving very slowly, any bacteria that's in there, basically it's, bacteria when it decomposes or breaks something down it uses oxygen and so if the water is stagnant the bacteria uses up the oxygen in that water really quickly and so that's you know that's why if you have a fish tank or something you need to put a little bubbler in or something like that Mm -hmm. that water moving because the water exchanges uh, with the atmosphere oxygen when it's moving but it's not moving Bubbles, 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 bubbles. Yeah. For those of you who've watched Finding Nemo. <laughs> so, I've actually never seen Finding Nemo. I have what? nothing to add. I, no, uh, I've never seen it. Put that on the list, buddy. Yeah. That's a classic. You guys both, you guys both got kids. I'm know. pretty. I'm trying to figure out if I watched Finding Nemo before I, I had kids. 100 percent did. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's pretty good. Finding Nemo came out in 2003. Yeah, well, my my oldest was born in two thousand nine. So, Whew, man, wow. Okay, all right. So back to this call thing. All right. So we're not done. <laughs> we're not we're not finished yet. All right. So all right. So no bubbles, no breakdown. Yeah. So we got this. You know, you want to you want to minimize the decomposition of your of the the vegetative matter, your plant matter material, right? So over time. Uh, you know, you get more vegetative material piling up on top of that. And so this stuff becomes buried, right? And you give it a, you bury it. And then you, uh, you know, then over time you start heating it up. Right? Well, let me, so, or do you want to, oh, I'm sorry, I, I know you're going to go. So go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say two things. Swamps and, and estuaries are, are super productive. So things grow there like crazy. And, and so you have the, a lot of this turnover. So the biomass just falls and piles up. But aside from just piling up and not breaking down, you also need <clears throat> low sediment input as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because you can't, you can't have like, <clears throat> I don't know, sand or, or sediment being deposited and mixing in. Yeah, something other than organic material, basically something other than carbon mixing yeah, in you need just that car you need that organic material and that's it yeah it, just a really really stagnant environment yeah so think of like like a swamp lots of mosquitoes flying around and just probably smells great 
in the not really kind of way. <laughs> yeah, but that is why estuaries and, and some back bays and swamps, and they, they stink like that because there is that anoxic, anaerobic uh, process happening, and it releases, you know, smelly gas, sulfur. Well, you, and, yeah, and you smell, especially like at low tide when it, when the upper layers sort of start um, oxidizing, breaking down. And you're smelling that degassing and whatnot. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Oh, oh. so, um, all right. So the, when now we start forming coal, the first thing before we even get to coal, the first thing that forms is peat. Right. It's this, it's this material called peat, and this we're going through what's known as the coal rank. Right. So there's we're kind of going to get into the whole. Uh, I guess you could say kind of like a spectrum would you consider it like a spectrum guys or if, or is this i guess yeah yeah sure yeah, sure. sure the spectrum of coal i never referred to it like that but i was just thinking about that just now all right so the first thing that forms is peat all right so peat's peat's not coal all right it's like uh at this point it's like 50 percent carbon it comes from these like shallow deposits from bogs uh mosses and grasses and it forms over the order of like, uh, like several thousand years or so. So peat, peat's pretty common. Um, like you can go buy it at, you know, wherever you, your local nursery or whatever it's, you can use it as a, it's a great mulch for your garden. Um, but you know, that's just, the, it's like, it's basically what peat is. It's partially decomposed organic material. Yeah. Right. And at, so it, the, the way it turns into peat is that as you pile up this organic material, it starts to compact and it starts to dewater. So it dehydrates. And um, it, you're basically the volatile, so gases and liquids, water in this case, or carbon dioxide come off of it. And, and they're what we call the volatiles. And so basically all you're concentrating are, are the, the organic material, the carbon that's left behind. So we, when we talk about coal rank, we talk about essentially how pure or, or the concentration of organic carbon there is, or carbon, I guess. Yeah. So not to keep calling it organic. No, but, but peat in and of itself, it, it, takes, it takes a bit to get it to catch fire, but you, you can yeah. get it to ignite. And you can have lower, you can have peat anywhere from 30 you could have 30 percent peat and you know you go to like scotland or ireland and and you're actively forming peat in sort of the the lowlands or the the bogs there i see an episode of bear grills where he uh he purposely jumps into a peat bog and apparently it has a rather ripe odor to it yeah (laughs) and this this is sort of a, a side story you know we have multiple and this isn't the first time we or I have brought this up on the show, you have preserved bodies in these bogs that that all of the soft tissue is preserved. They're preserved as, you know, they might be a little squished and they look worse for wear, but they're being preserved because it's an anoxic environment. So the bacteria has, can't decompose or break down the body because there's no oxygen. So it's the same idea. You know, this is why you get coal here. Or you get peat. Yeah. It's, Old it's, uh, peat bog peat. 
old peat bog peat. So, you know, put that bog body in there long enough and it will get incorporated into coal. And yeah, I, that's how the zombie apocalypse starts. Yep. Throw it in the furnace. <laughs> so even you can even see, um, at least in transgressive environments, uh, that's where essentially it, sea levels rising. Um, but where you get barrier island rollover, where the, uh, along the coast where the barrier islands are, are moving landward, you can start to see clumps of peat start coming out of the sand. Um, and what's happening is that peat starts to form in the back bay in the estuary initially landward of your barrier island. But as the barrier island is moving landward, then all of a sudden it's on top of the old peat deposits. And you can actually start to see it kind of eroding out onto the uh, onto the surface of the beach there. And yeah, and if you've ever done drilling down by the beach, you you almost always see like sand, sand, sand. Uh, what they call meadow mat, which is essentially the beginnings of peat, and then you get to peat, and yeah, huh. pretty cool. Yeah, and it's you know as a stratigrapher, when I was seeing, it, I was like, this is awesome. And I was like, yeah, we're just looking for the confining layer. <laughs> so but where's the mud yeah exactly <clears throat> all right so that's pete anything else about pete before we move on uh it's not yeah. really coal yeah <clears throat> i mean and this is something we get, we'll talk about it later when we talk about how we use this as a fuel pete is is pretty dirty because it 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 has a lot of these volatiles still in it. Yeah, it hasn't been it has purified by nature. Yes, it's, since it it's, since it's you know less than half carbon, that means half of it is made up of other things mm -hmm. that are volatilizing and <clears throat> coming off when you burn it. Yeah, mm -hmm. no bueno. So as um, as we continue to bury this material deeper we add more pressure and we continue to heat it up we bake it then this material we, we get the next uh the next in line that comes out is called lignite lignite is i've always kind of considered it like you're really like dirty coal it's like it's it's basically the, the kind of like the first the first stop on the on the coal on the coal list right and basically the first thing that will actually catch fire with uh not a ton of effort yeah some sometimes That's why lignite like it ignites i guess if you ignite is in the word lignite That's... <laughs> i've actually i've never noticed that until now that the word ignite is <laughs> no I, neither have i um if you if you, you know, like if you're picturing coal in your head when you think of coal you're picturing black right you're picturing like a black rock, or you should, because that's what coal is. Um, lignite often has a really brown hue to it. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes called brown coal mm -hmm. because it, you know, it's and and really low grade lignite. You can it's it's almost peaty in texture. Mm -hmm. You can still see like fibrous materials. It's really soft. You can you can oftentimes crumble it up pretty easily. Um, and with lignite, you tend to get a lot of, you get like a, a, a fair amount of sulfur deposits yeah. with that as well, right? Yep. So the, yeah, with some, some of the samples of, of lignite that I've seen, 
it's yeah it's just kind of crumbly it's not like it's it's it doesn't look good no and <laughs> it's, there's a lot of yellow in it too there, there can be there can be yellow in there and that that's that's just sulfur and yeah and it has it has a lot of moisture in it so it it can um spontaneously combust and so oh, really? oftentimes <clears throat> especially in old coal bunkers like where you know on steamships or, or trains or whatnot sometimes the the coal bunker would catch fire and it, it, if if they were using say lignite it's because the the coal itself combusted spontaneously mm. there's some thought yeah. that the coal there was a coal bunker fire on the titanic as it was crossing no kidding that they were dealing with yep oh yeah How about it, that? yeah it, How about that? it got put out when the when the ship sank <laughs> too, too soon yeah sorry my apologies that was that was in poor taste uh all right so from lignite which is uh 70 carbon ish in that realm lignite yeah, yeah can get up that's probably the max okay yeah then we have sub bituminous yeah so you keep squishing it you're driving off all the volatiles and you're just concentrating the carbon. And so basically as we move along this, like this coal spectrum, that's what we're going to be seeing. We're going to, you're going to see that we're going to continue to add pressure to this. We're going to continue to heat this up, drive out those volatiles and just basically get pure and pure carbon. I guess not pure, more concentrated is what I should have said. More concentrated carbon as we, as we kind of move along, along this, um, each stop for, for coal, you know, so sub bituminous has a little bit more of a concentrate, a little bit higher of a concentration of carbon. And then, and then as we continue to uh, increase the pressure and cook the stuff, then it goes into bituminous coal. And so I want to say off the top of my head, bituminous coal now is where it starts to what they say, like, you know, quote, I don't like using this term, but this is just the term that's used, like kind of like it's like a cleaner burning coal because and there's it, no. Yeah, it definitely has less volatiles in it. Um, and when we when we say cook it, we're, we're talking like 100 to 200 degrees C now for bituminous. Um, and you're getting anywhere from like high 70s to low 90 percent carbon. So when you say clean or cleanish, it's because you know you've driven off you know everything except for the last ten to twenty percent of your schmutz. That's a technical term, schmutz. It's very scientific. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so all this stuff would be considered in the sedimentary rock realm, up to bituminous coal, and then. All of a sudden, then we get to anthracite coal, and anthracite coal is considered a metamorphic rock. It's at it's been there's a lot of pressure that has been introduced to form anthracite coal. Uh, it only forms at the borders of mountain belts, um, and this is like we're dealing with like ninety plus percent carbon. We're heating this stuff up to like 200, 300 degrees Celsius, and we're looking at depths of uh burial or like eight to ten kilometers underground so yeah pretty deep pretty pretty deep yeah yeah anthracite's sort of interesting you know 
you, you need high temperature and high pressure. And I, I'm always, you know, early on, I, I was always hesitant to call it a metamorphic rock. <clears throat> but it, I, I guess I'm on board with it now. Does it change properties? I mean, they all, the bituminous technically changes properties. So it, one of the things with the anthracite is that our understanding of how it forms is still up for debate. Okay. Where, so there's, there's some thought that, you know, when you're, when you're in these mountain belts and one of the reasons you get in the mountain belts is that if you have um, high pressure uh, groundwater that that's getting injected at depth and it heats up and it's interacting and, and, and basically cooking the material. And that's one of the ways in which it's thought you can form anthracite. So I'm, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm on board with calling it a metamorphic rock now. But I get my my question, my very simplified definition of metamorphic rock is you lose the the sort of stratigraphy structure, you know, kind of goes away. Well, you, but you don't. But I guess when I, when I look at bituminous, you know, you can kind of see, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's an it interesting. Just, it almost looks it almost looks crystalline. Oh, anthracite? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's as well, opposed yeah. to just so like your sedimentary, yeah. just like yeah. Well, that's a good point. You <clears throat> that's a good way. Yeah, they're both, I would say both bituminous and, and they're they're diagenetic. They're being altered at depth. Yes. Yes. Um <clears throat> and yeah, there there's compression. Yeah. I'm 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 not disagreeing that it's it's metamorphic. I'm just I'm just saying I was I was always so I was like, ah, you know, you, you you find it associated with sedimentary rocks that aren't metamorphosed. That 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 is a good point. And and also I, you know, the the strict there the the like intro to geology definition of metamorphic rock is you lose all structure from your yeah. previous realm, but they also find fossils. In metamorphic rock because they'll be in like bends or twists or something something that wasn't as pressurized or wasn't as yeah good. it's still it's metamorphic rock but you still have a fossil well how can you yeah. have a fossil if you lost all your you know yeah so and you you don't find any fossils fossils in anthracite but you do in the surrounding in the underclays and, and the, the shales i guess you do find some slate associated you do find the slate which is metamorphic um associated with it yeah like the fern fossils and stuff from yeah or or all the, the like bear valley like the humpback yeah the whaleback whaleback that's what i'm trying to say whaleback yeah yeah it's it's an interesting <clears throat> it's interesting that it's one of those things where it's it's this topic and you think like oh you know people have been studying coal for 200 years it's one of the first sort of rocks people looked at with geology because of the economic importance with it and because of the access yeah go back to our hutton episode yeah yeah and uh william william stratus smith was also working yeah. in the coal, coal canals right oh yeah coal mines and the canals but 
our understanding of exactly how anthracite forms is still, it's to some extent debated. There's different, people have come up with different explanations. So it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think so at least. And that's, so, well, so, well, real quick, next on our outline is how do we do an outline? Well, first I will say <laughs> Cole keeps the lights on. But how do we keep the lights on at the podcast? Ah, that's a much better segue than my outline one. <laughs> <laughs> talking about the formatting formula, that's what I'm talking about. That's what keeps the lights on at the Jolly <laughs> Flannel Cast. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I wish I would have done that instead. But anyway, formattingformula.com. Check them out. Uh, all of your word formatting documenting needs. Um, also, they have your own, basically, teach yourself videos at YouTube, which is formatting uh, YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. Um, I, you know, I know I talked about this before, but I'm updating a, a document from the early '90s at work, and it, it has this like super funky thing where in word now it, it shows the word is misspelled so i right click it and then all the font squishes together and it spells it correctly but it, you can't read it because it's all squished together and i was like what what is going on here so i emailed the formatting formula they said just send me the document they worked at their magic i don't know how they did it but they did it and they sent it back to me and it went from like 12 different fonts also to one font and uh, 12 different font points down to one font point. Like anyway, formatting formula, can't say enough good things about them. I, you know, I know they are a sponsor, but I, I really do <laughs> pretty much <laughs> tap into their knowledge weekly to figure out, <laughs> you know, you think, Oh, it's word. You're just typing. How hard could it be? Well, apparently for a dumbo like me, pretty hard. <laughs> So check them out, formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. Um, but, you know, even more important than learning word is letting them know that the flannel cast sent you there. <laughs> so first tell them the flannel cast sent you there, then learn all the word stuff you need to learn. But yeah, check them out, formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. Tell them geology flannel cast sent you. Good. So that was a great advertisement right there. Yeah. Listen, you know, I do voiceovers in my spare time. You could. You have. You should be on radio. I don't know why you're wasting your time on podcasting. You should- <laughs> I, I, know. I don't have a face for YouTube. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, uh, anthracite. We're gonna call it metamorphic. Yeah. How do we get it out of the ground, though? Yeah, dig it out. Oh, I'm problem just solved. Say it. Done. All right. All right. That wraps up the episode. <laughs> yeah, ask a stupid question, you're going to get a stupid answer, right? <laughs> All right. So, one of the things, whenever you're mining for whatever, you know, whatever it is you're mining for, you want to make sure, or the, the company wants to make sure that it's economically feasible to take this stuff out of the ground, right? You don't want to make, you, what you don't want to have happen 
is that you spend more money taking this stuff, extracting the stuff out of the ground than, than what you're going to make on the market, right? So it seems like rule of thumb here, when you're looking for coal seams, they need to be one to three meters in thickness to be economical or to, uh, yeah, to be economical to mine, right? Um, what, what is very common, coal is very common, especially if, uh, if you're driving, uh, I see it all the time driving along the East Coast, uh, here, uh, a lot of these, uh, you, you kind of go up just, uh, west of the Appalachians and you see these tiny little coal seams, uh, from these, basically from these ancient deltas. That's another, another well, I guess that kind of goes on with, the kind of the quote, like yeah, the sure. estuarian environments yeah. that we're, we're talking about, but, um, you see lots of these little coal seams and some of them can be like really, really thin, like, uh, I don't know, a couple, couple inches thick, just, you know not, not very, not very thick at all. So nobody, nobody wants to mine that. All right. That's not going to make anybody any, any money. And that's, that's the whole reason why these companies are mining this stuff is, is to make money. Right. So you need, you need to have a, you know, some substantial thickness to these things to mine. But here's the thing about coal mining. It's, uh, it's pretty messy. All right. And this is where a lot of the environmental impacts really start to start to kick in. All right. Um, it can, it honestly, if, if you mine coal incorrectly, I would even argue that there really is no, uh, proper way to, to mine coal. There's always going to be some type of environmental impact. When How dare you when you're dealing with this? All right. Uh, so no, that goes with mining anything. It has, not, yeah, has always, nothing to do with coal. Yeah, it's it resource any, extraction. Exactly. Yeah, not just coal. Anytime you dig a hole in the ground to get something out of it, chances are you're messing something else up nearby. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so <clears throat> just because you're not mining coal, don't feel high and mighty. Look exactly. At, look at your computer and your cell phone. Yep. All of the resources in there were extracted somehow. Yeah. And, and this first type of mining, it's funny. When I was a kid, I was taught how great this was <laughs> really like, I, yeah I oh yeah. In, in the 80s yeah so strip mining or mountaintop removal which is basically this this is usually economically viable when the coal seam is like less than 100 meters deep so 100 meters that's huge it's a football field so companies it's economically viable for a company to remove a whole football field worth of a mountain <laughs> first to then get to that one to three foot seam of coal and then, and then, you know, get f- follow it along wherever it goes. When I was a kid, like in my textbooks, it would be like, you know, here's what it looked like before. And it was just like a forest <laughs> with a mountain. And now here's what it looks like after. And it's like a recreational lake and like picnic well, areas and all this other like nice stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, mountaintop removal's great. Yeah. yeah. So strip mining is 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 a little different from mountaintop removal itself. Strip mining, you don't necessarily have to remove a mountain. Strip mining is just you're removing layers of earth overburden. And it works really well if if your coal seams are horizontal mm-hmm. or, or nearly horizontal. You just remove all the earth above it and then you can get that that coal. But yeah, it's the same idea. You're just removing all of this overburden. But yeah, a lot of times 
with mountaintop removal or, or strip mining, you hit the water table. And so then you, you fill up these big pits with water. And yeah, I remember seeing sort of these, yeah, advertisements like we're just creating recreation areas. And yeah. they're in, in parts where they're doing mountaintop removal. I want to say in West Virginia, they're putting a golf course on top of one. Uh, they're like, look at this. Look yeah, at this. it's gorgeous. We took this useless forest, turned it into a golf course. And golf um, courses, by the way, have a, they got neck uh, an environmental impact <laughs> in them. Golf what? courses aren't just, uh, you know, you, you get, you get a lot of, um, you know, I guess all the, all the, the, the chemical treatments that they use for the golf courses and stuff. That's, that's not, and, uh, and the watering and the mowing yeah, and the, yeah, the, yeah. the gas powered mowers and the, uh, yeah. Don't get me started on the golf carts. Yeah. I, I well, some of them are electric. They are powered by solar. <laughs> they have solar powered golf carts. No. Or if you have, uh, I, I no, they do have, electric. they do have electric golf carts. Yeah. But no. I, yeah, I know what that, yeah, yeah. So it, it's kind of, you know, strip mining and, and mountaintop removal is, you know, it's obviously pretty invasive, if you will. Um, but, you know, they, they, to do that, they have these huge shovels or, or drag, you know, they're called drag lines, or you can have, the old ones were steam buckets, but these things just massive and the dump trucks that, to haul out this material, they're, they're just these massive um, dump trucks that are called eucalyptus or, or ukes. And <clears throat> so like growing up, some of the back roads would take you, you know, between stripping pits and, and whatnot. And you'd always have to watch cause they, the ukes would, would cross the road but the cab is on the is on the on the opposite side, and so like if you're on coal roads, it, you know there'll be signs that say like drive on drive on the left because ukes do everything in reverse because the cabin is on the the opposite side, and they're like, what's the reason for that for having the, uh, the cabin on the question. opposite side? No clue, but they're because they want to be like the U.S. postal postal service. I mean, right? it doesn't really matter. They're like. <laughs> Or they're like two stories up in the air. They could they wouldn't be able to see if you were driving a little car anyway. Yeah, uh, they're they're massive, massive machines. Just they're they're so big. How big are they? That in in stripping, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that the the shovel is digging down or moving this overburden. That when they when they're when they remove all of the coal and it you know and the geology tells them there's no more you know, reason at a reasonable depth coal to get to the, the, they'll just stop using that stripping pit. Right. But it's, it's more economically feasible for them just to leave the, the shovel in the pit. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you, you know, growing up, you, you could walk around the woods and these old stripping pits just have these huge shovels still in them. And sometimes they would fill in with water and you just see the boom sticking out of the water. Mm -hmm. made a really good place to climb up and dive off of but uh nice well yeah, that's, what, that's what the is whole that children's book Ugh. children's book what are you talking there's about? a children's book about the steam shovel and 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 he dug so fast and he dug so are you talking about john henry he was a steel driving man no shoot this is gonna kill me anyway carry on 
<laughs> no, it's a I steam shovel. Look that, it up that, right now. I, I vaguely he, but, remember what you're but talking he, about. He but. went out of work because nobody wanted a steam shovel anymore, and then he found this small town that needed a the new courthouse built or something, and he and he dug the courthouse faster. But he dug so fast and he dug so Mike, well. Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. Yes, Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. Look at you. This looks crazy. Because it was steam shovels I, were going out of yeah. favor. And then he yeah. dug so fast. So he ended up at the bottom of the thing. And they're like, well, nobody wants steam shovels anyway. Why don't we just make him the boiler? So he became the heating unit for that building. Oh, I. You know, now that I'm look, I looked this up. Um, this is an old book. That, um, this book's over 75 years old. I've read wow. it to my kids many times. I can't believe I can't remember. I remember, rem- the, name. I remember the, I was looking at the, the artwork in this book. I remember this from like kindergarten, like being like a real tiny little kid reading this. Yeah. Mike, how about that? Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel based on a true story. Right? Yeah, I remember the, 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 uh, the author would give readings and when I was a kid. I'm just kidding. I'm Wait, how old are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. So, yeah, these, I guess, so these shovels are huge. Um, and, uh, you know, some are, uh, have here, some are larger than a two car garage in one scoop. Yeah. So, I've seen some of those like modern models or engineering shows or things like that. Where, where they show like the world's largest ones mm-hmm. and they're like gigantic. They're, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's something like a hundred SUVs in, in one scoop or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the engineering behind that stuff is, is just bananas. It's a, it's a, it's amazing how they, you know, come up with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and some of these shovels now they're like electric and like you, you need to tap into like the, gigantic electric grid wires like you know so you basically you... need like a nuclear power plant just to Ex- keep this thing. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's ridiculous wow how about that um all right so that's you know um so there's we kind of so we, were, we talked about strip mining and mountaintop removal so you know this some of the stuff you, you see you know, like Steve, Steve was mentioning as a little kid, you kind of saw these before and after pictures, but he, it's, you know, it's, it's all about how it's, it's portrayed. He saw some stuff that looked, you know, like, Oh, it looks like a, like a, like a golf resort or whatever, like a, like a fun, fun recreational Lake. But you know, some of this other stuff you see, like, uh, like out in West Virginia, they do this a lot and it's just, they literally just remove the whole mountain or a huge chunk of it just to get to, to that coal seam. So it's uh you know, you're moving around a lot of earth to, to get through, to get to um, these, these coal deposits. That is a good question. What do they do with the top of the mountain? You know, I was just wondering that. I, I, that's a <clears throat> lot. That's a lot of earth. To well, I know, I, I know like in, in strip mines, they, they just pile it up elsewhere and you get these huge comb piles. And so those aren't considered tailings, right? Tailings are, is it, you would, you could consider, yeah, you would consider them tailings. It, yeah. it, it's the overburden and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, tailings oftentimes is when you're breaking it up to get the coal out. But you, yeah, you just have these huge, essentially man-made mountains next to it. I, I know that there's a bunch in Pennsylvania, um, and they, they present a whole host of 
problems that we can talk about next episode. Yeah. Health, health and safety and environmental problems. Yeah. Um, to talk about uh, Aberfan, which is a disaster in Wales that happened with, with uh, one of these piles. Yeah. Um, that was in the crown. Was. We was. were talking about the crown a little bit before we started podcasting. <laughs> so full circle. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so sh- strip mining and mountaintop removal, the, the reason they're mainly employed today is because they're efficient. It's just easier. It's, it's, we have the technology or the, the power just to remove all of it to get to the, to the coal. Whereas old school methods would be underground mining. Well, so is the, the strip mining, is that more also like there's the element of danger of the, the mines collapsing that's also gone to? Yeah. I guess they take that into consideration as well. Yeah, I guess that's that's a good point. There's a safety. Yeah, it's yeah, it's for health and safety. Yeah. Marginally safer. Um, so, but there's you know, you can also have the underground mining where like the old school stuff where you you're you're you know carving out mine shafts and you know, and gotta it's got to take the elevator all the way down and well, it's, it's hot down there. Yeah, it's and it's still <clears throat> It, well, it depends on how deep you go, but it, underground mining is still, it's probably half of all coal mining is still underground. There's, it's a big percentage is still, maybe not half, but, you know, in, in, in a lot of parts of West Virginia and Kentucky, you're still doing deep mining. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you were saying you take the elevator. So if you're taking the elevator down, that's called a shaft mine. If you're just going vertically <clears throat> versus if you're going in at an angle, that's called slope mining. You go in an angle to, to you hit the seam of coal, and then you you're you're mining the coal out. Or drift mining is where you you go on the mountain and you know where the coal is, if, especially if the coal is nearly horizontal, and then you just dig into the mountain horizontally. That would be drift mining. Um, and you know, there's different ways when you're underground mining. You you can either dig out the coal and you sort of leave behind pillars of coal that act as supports. Mm -hmm. They have, um, they they have machines now they're, I think they're called long wall miners that are, and sometimes you'll see, especially if you, if you see like West Virginia or Kentucky or Southwestern Pennsylvania miners, um, where they're just attacking the seam of coal. So, you know, you might be somewhere that's, uh, three feet high and they have these really narrow mach- motorized machines that go and they just carve up the the coal and, and sort of spit it back on a conveyor belt and as they move the machine itself is bracing the ceiling oh how about that <clears throat> um yeah it's it's interesting there, there's a whole there's a whole number of ways you can and old school mines they would they would put timber as a brace, they wouldn't use pillar pillars. They would um, put timbers up to support the, the ceiling itself. And um, so like bootleg miners back in the day would go into a mine when, when no one was in there and they would pull the timbers. It's called robbing timbers. And it would cause the ceiling of the mine to collapse. And then they would go in and 
and pick through that material and get coal out. And it was like a quick and easy way to sort of get coal. Oh man, that's risky work of the mine. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) sounds crazy. Yeah. I had a, I had a great uncle who was a bootleg miner. And and so the story was told to me by my grandfather, but he was doing that. And the, yeah, the problem is that if the roof collapses, you know, you sort of destabilize the area. And here there was uh, another shaft, you know, right next to where he was. And it, when the, it collapsed in, it, it busts through this abandoned shaft that had flooded with water. And so all the water rushed in and flooded the, the mine. Oh, and he was stuck like waist deep in, in water for like two days before he found his way out. Oh, Anyway, he and, wow. and that's groundwater. That's like cold yeah. water. He gave up bootlegging mining after that. I would hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So deep well, mining is, boy, that's scary. Yeah, don't do that. If you're listening to the podcast, don't don't do there, that. There was just a mine collapse in China the other day. 20, 20 miners got trapped. Oh, jeez. You yeah. know, and and these miners that get trapped. Um. You're down there in the it's pitch black. You can't see the hand in front of your face. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a you ever been on a cave tour. Usually they'll you know you get deep down into the cave and and uh, you know the, the, the your tour guide will shut off the lights and you know they'll shut off the lights for I don't know 30 seconds to a minute or whatever and it's like it's creepy. It's, you know, it's, it's a new it, level of darkness. Yeah. And then what is it after a while you start to hallucinate. Yeah, there's a name for that where you start seeing like uh, and that they found there's like this uh, there's a condition where if if they found it with trapped miners where they start seeing the same things and it's like this. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, there's like a there's a psychological or there's a technical. Yeah, it's called ghosts. They're seeing ghosts. So ghosts in a mine that, you know, you hear noises like pounding or what they're called tommy knockers <laughs> so, isn't that a stephen king book it is it is um so one of the and this actually one of the th- in deep mines especially or if you're underground mining one of the issues they run into um is that when you get above bituminous and, and in subbituminous bituminous into anthracite the the coal starts to uh, what's called you get demethanization demethation basically methane starts being produced mm-hmm. it's a volatile that comes out and it's just natural goods methane is natural gas and um, <clears throat> the you get different types of gases that are produced fr- from this material and they're in the in mining they're referred to as damps which comes from the German dumped which means the vapors so you get the vapors. <laughs> oh, you catching the vapors. But they have they have sort of different names. But the the big the big one, the scary one is is uh, methane, and methane is sometimes called fire damp or coal damp. Um, <clears throat> but it it's you know you get this methane that builds up, and it's obviously very explosive, and so it just starts accumulating in these pockets underground, and that's. That's one of the sort of the problem with, with underground mining. It's one of the, the reasons you 
you get miners trapped is you know these combustibles uh my favorite of the damps however <clears throat> is uh hydrogen sulfide which you know rotten egg smell is called stink damp hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname in high school yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. I guess uh, while we're on the topic of this isn't in the outline, I'm totally improving right now. But well, I like, I'm excited. Yes. While we're on the topic, we have to talk about the term canary in a coal mine. Ah, yeah. Ah. So um, where they comes from, uh, they were uh, the miners used to bring in canaries in these little cages, and uh, they'd carry them down to the tunnels, and what you don't want having happen is a buildup of, of gases like, like carbon monoxide in these, in these tunnels. So it'll kill you. Right. And it's a, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's a silent killer. So what happened was the gases would kill the canary before the miners. And so they see the canary, the canary dies and they say, Oh, we gotta get out of here. You know, it's no bueno, not enough oxygen, you know? So that's uh yeah. That's where that comes from. And they actually started to even industrialize the canary in the coal mine. Like they would put in ventilation shafts and they would have canaries, like several canaries in cages in the ventilation shaft. And if canaries started dying from the ventilation that was coming out of the shaft, then they would know that something was wrong <laughs> and so it wasn't just like one miner bringing down a caged canary like at some point they actually started bringing in lots of canaries into the vent to make sure that the ventilation the air that was coming out wasn't killing people so i just sent you guys a link you should check this out right now there is a picture on this uh i'm just on the the wikipedia page for canary in a coal mine and they have a picture of this canary cage, right? And so what the caption for this picture, this is pretty amazing. It says a canary cage used in mines. And on the top, there's a little oxygen cylinder. And it said, uh, the handle is an oxygen cylinder that can be used to revive the canary for reuse. <laughs> like, what for reuse? <laughs> uh, hey, man, I'm sure, I'm sure it, like, you know, in the late 1800s, canaries became probably uh hot commodities it's just, not to not to revive the canary yeah, i was no. thinking like oh that's really <laughs> nice that's so sweet that they're doing they're bringing that canary slowly close to death and then let's do it again and let's yeah. do it again are you kidding me that's like canary hell <laughs> yeah i know so Go often, towards the light <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so a lot of times the canaries they would keep them in cages near the 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 uh uh, the mule stables. So this is something you don't maybe think about, but mules were the main source of, of energy to pull the, the mine carts up until about the 1930s, like much longer than you probably maybe realize. And um, so they, the mules lived their whole lives in the mine. And they never went out, like they never saw daylight. Is that what you're saying? They, yeah, they would, they would cut, maybe depending on on the mule but yeah they because they were sort of short and they were stout and they they actually didn't mind the darkness what whereas like horses 
you know, mules you think of as being pretty temperamental, and they are if you've ever dealt with a mule. But apparently they were suited for coal mines, mm. their temperaments. How about that? So, yeah, so you go down and, you know, the stables usually, when you got to the, if you was a slope mine or something, you get to the, the main ve- uh, ventilation doors. So there'd be different be sets of doors because you really have to control how air flows to make sure it's, it's ventilated. And, and people recognize that pretty early on on and so when you got to the first set of, of doors usually your your stables were <clears throat> were were close to that but you go in and you have these stables and you would have canaries there you just have all these bird cages wow just um, just a menagerie before you you know so i guess the mules were more valuable than the people i mean i don't want to say yes or no but but it sounds like it <laughs> Here's a good picture I just sent you all of. So, uh, fun fact about coal mines. Um, do you guys, any of you guys know when and where the first coal mine in North America kicked off? No, but this just made me realize I forgot to talk about the story about anthracite coal being discovered, but yeah, go on. All right. So, uh, the first coal mine in North America began in New Brunswick, Canada in the early 1600s. Whoa. Good day. Yeah. Yeah. Man, put another shrimp on the barbie. That's, isn't that Australia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Austria. Ge- geography flannel cast here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your story about anthracite? What do you want to say? What did I want to say? <laughs> well, so anthracite was was discovered i think i've told this story i don't know if it was on the podcast or on a patreon episode but there was a like this hunter trapper who was um hunting and or trapping as you do (laughs) uh near near where i grew up in 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 pottsville pennsylvania and so the the legend i don't know if it's apocryphal or not but his name was nico allen and he he fell asleep basically on on the broad mountain and he woke up and, and the mountain was on fire because the campfire that he had made before he went to bed w- was on like an outcropper on a seam of coal oh so an- anthrax and maybe we'll save this for the next episode yeah about uh, the, the fires yeah well and and it's use sort of in the industrial revolution and yeah and, and whatnot so that was in the in the late 1700s hmm. oh that that late or that early i guess i should say yeah 1790 ish that's awesome yeah it's a good story um <laughs> yeah yeah so i, I you know <laughs> how much one, of- thing, one thing we i think we forgot to mention is is the compressibility Yes. So you were saying about how economically viable seams of coal. And it reminded me of, of this story about they were building <clears throat> some sort of office building or uh, like a store or something in, in the north of where I grew up. And they were building it into the side of a hill. And as they were excavating it to build this little office building, they hit a seam of coal and it stopped all construction 
because it, there was enough there that they're like, well, we're going to remove all this coal first before we finish building. Let's get some extra money about out of this. But, <laughs> but when you find these seams that are, you know, two feet, three feet, four feet thick, that represents, if it's anthracite, you know, maybe a, so the, I always learned that the compressibility, the ratio was a hundred to one. So one foot of anthracite coal represents a hundred feet of plant material. Holy uh -huh. cow. Yeah. And the, the, the big vein, the big seam or the big vein that runs through Northeastern Pennsylvania is the mammoth vein that in places is 40, 50, 60 feet thick. Oh, wow. Cow. Yeah. So you're uh, talking, so do they have an age estimate of how long it took that to deposit that? Uh, not that I know off the top of my head. That's a great, but point. it's got to be like over a million years. Yeah. I, you know, basically a million years of being a swamp. That's an interesting, yeah, question. Interesting yeah. question. Well, well, that's why I'm here. Not for answers. <laughs> Just to pose questions. So, um, but yeah, that, that is crazy that, that it takes that much stuff mm -hmm. to get compressed and squished and, you know, basically dewatered and everything is taken out of it, essentially, except for the organic material. Crazy. Got another little fun fact for you guys right now because yeah. why not? Uh, the looks like the first evidence of uh, coal mining goes back to 3490 BC in China. Ooh, hmm. that's like 5,000 years of coal mining. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Lots of so the you know coal mining goes way, way, way back in human history that's that's awesome yeah so uh i guess what we could do right now um we could talk about uh current u.s energy consumption and how coal relates to that yeah i think that'd be a good way to wrap it up and then <clears throat> we can save a few of these tidbits for our next episode yeah yeah so okay let's see Right now, in the United States, as of 2019, uh, coal. Chris, uh, it's, at, it's 2021. It's 2021. <laughs> Come but on, the numbers, man. but the numbers from 2020 are not in yet. All right. All right. 2020 just ended like I'll the other week. I'll give you a break. All right. Um, so it looks like as of 2019, coal was about coal made up 11% uh, of U.S. energy consumption, um, yeah, and so then, and the, if you break it down, so most of the, most of the use of coal goes towards electricity. Yes, right? like uh, ninety percent of 90%, that. Yes, yeah. goes to electricity generation, mm -hmm. which I didn't realize that when you generate electricity, like half of that is lost. It just never like it, it's never used. No, no, no. It's just like lost through like inefficiencies, heat or inefficiencies, or just the transfer of you know transmission lines. Like so, so of that eleven percent that's gone to electricity, only like five percent of it actually makes it to your outlet. 
Yeah, there's. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, so, just, it's I, I just, I, I, I just never, amazing. I, how, I was how never much, aware of that either. Yeah, how much? Yeah. Is just yeah, inefficient. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and then also of all the sources in, in the United States, this is also just for 2019. Like I said, the numbers for 2020 aren't out yet. 2020 sent it 13 days ago as of this recording. <laughs> I'll cut you I need break. those Ca- numbers now. Carry on, buddy. Carry on. So as of uh, 2019, of uh, of all the sources of electricity in the United States, coal was uh, coal made up 23% of of the electricity. Or I, I guess, uh, yeah, 23. How can I phrase that? Uh, it was 20. 23% of all the electricity that was uh, produced in the United States came from coal. All right. So we got uh, natural gas was actually 38%. Like coal was 23%. Nuclear power was 20 Petroleum was 1%. And then your renewables were 17%. Yeah, and that's 2020. You'll see renewables. I, I, I was looking at it. I, I want to say renewables are like 22 now. They're they're like number two. They've overtaken. I want to say coal and nuclear. I, I heard I that number jumped up to twenty two once Steve got his solar panels on his house. Yeah. Right? Wow, that's yeah. true. Personal. Listen, and I <laughs> and I know if you uh, there haven't been new nuclear permits issued in a long time in Georgia. They're, they're working on a, a, a giant nuclear power plant. They've been working on that for thirty years. Yeah, and it's just a little bit over budget right now. Uh, <laughs> just a pinch. And there are a couple of plants that went offline, and so. And I may or may not be paying an extra tax just for that uh, nuclear power plant to be built right now. But listen, it it is a stable method of energy. It's just, it is, yeah. Um, it it may have lost some popularity after HBO's Chernobyl came out. <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole other episode on nuclear energy. Um, Absolutely, yeah. About one of the one of the interesting, I think, things, and in, and maybe we'll talk about this next time is is also like just 10 years, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, somewhere in that range. Coal accounted for like 40% of electricity yeah. generation. It was, it was, it was the, the, the main source. Yeah. And, and if you remember even uh, six, eight years ago, there was a big push, I guess more than eight years ago, but there was a big push for nuclear energy um and is this pre-fukushima exactly right. <laughs> just pre right before fukushima daiichi uh, again so um again as just a, a stable uh non uh, once it's built non-carbon producing energy Basically, platform i mean every you know every Anything that we use for energy is going to have its pros and cons. Yes. Right. There's 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 no free ride. There's no free nope. lunch, as they as they would say. Even things like you know something you might think is like you know super clean like solar, you know we still have to get the the um the the parts for the solar panels. You know we yeah. still we still need to extract resources to create solar panels. So there is no there's there's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to energy production. Nope. And speaking of ener- energy production, where where in the United States does most of our coal come from? Uh, it comes from Wyoming. Wyoming. 
Yeah, most of it comes from Wyoming. 40%. Which is interesting because coming from Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia makes up 11% and Pennsylvania takes up 6%. I really thought Pennsylvania. Well, I mean, yeah. that's these are 2020 numbers. If you, if you were talking, you know. 1880 like, numbers? Yeah, 1880. We'd be crushing it. <laughs> we're number one. Uh, <laughs> but there's, that's, there's an interesting story when it comes to environmental remediation about Wyoming versus the East Coast, West Virginia and Pennsylvania and Kentucky, which we'll talk about next episode. Oh, now, now you got me on the edge of my seat. Yeah. I wish we were doing the next episode right now, but <laughs> I guess I'll just have to tune into the next one. This, the, yeah, this next episode, oh, like we said, we really need to just devote a whole episode kind of to the environmental stuff associated or the environmental impacts associated with this uh with with coal mining and, and the use of use of uh coal um it's it, there's a lot there's there's yeah. a lot going on there's there really got, is. there's a lot of stories about just like crazy stuff uh that, <laughs> that happens when you when you mine coal and just kind of some of the some of the direct effects and some of the indirect effects Mm-hmm. as well that are associated with just using coal all right so we real have quick town, entire towns have been just totally abandoned and destroyed all right, um, well, all, right. all right that's all right. enough of a teaser all right, <laughs> all right let, let's wrap it up so so production most of it comes from wyoming uh a little bit comes from west virginia a little bit comes from pennsylvania a little bit comes from others and and this is another stat that blew my mind was that 45% of all coal production is bituminous, which, okay, that I kind of got. I thought it would have been a little bit higher. I didn't realize that 40, the other 45, another 45% is sub-bituminous. Yep, dirty. So essentially like either not quite bituminous or lignite, like dirty coal. And then, uh-huh. or, you know, 10% is lignite. And then anthracite is only negligible. Yeah. Is it really not that much anthracite in the world? Uh, no, no, this isn't the world. These numbers are the United States and okay. these are 2019 numbers in the U.S. But the the majority of anthracite globally is in Pennsylvania, right? Right, or I guess maybe our partner over in England. It's, well, no, it's it's Pennsylvania. Is it? I wasn't sure just based on the Appalachian. Yeah, no, it's they don't have much. Okay. In the way of anthracite, and and part of that is. <clears throat> anthracite it burns a lot hotter and it burns you know quote cleaner but it, it's more tough. bang for your buck with the anthracite. It, it's tough to ignite and so it's it's not used a lot say in electricity generation just easier to use bituminous Got it's it. harder to mine and extract anthracite so anthracite's a lot of times it was used <clears throat> it, w- it was used in uh, heating homes it was a good because it it, it burns so hot that it, it, it was good for boilers and things like that. Um, so that's sort of one of its main uses was, was boilers. And it, it's used a lot in, um, in uh, steel production, like that, yeah, that's specialty steel. So you would coke it and then mm-hmm. make it specialty steel. But one of the things they use it for um, currently is, is filtration systems. 
sort of interesting. Oh, like activated carbon? Yeah, they're using it in in some of these higher tech filter systems. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It's also used in uh, specialty pizza ovens. Uh, that's, I, that's random that's <laughs> no i i have seen that like i've seen ads for that i'm like coal-fired pizza i'm like hey I, 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 how are these people not worried about getting sued like it's gotta be it's delicious it's stop delicious. it have you eaten it yeah of course i've had coal-fired pizza mister i haven't left my basement in a year eats coal-fired pizza oh no i haven't had it in in over a year no i understand that but <laughs> you'll eat coal-fired pizza yeah it's just uh, oven. i mean you're just burning it in the oven i mean i, I guess know, but you're not worried about like i i guess i guess if it's anthracite i guess it's just as probably just as clean as natural gas and you know what you just said jesse hasn't left his basement in over a year all right it's i just did them it's 11 months he hasn't left his basement all right <laughs> Give me some, cut me some slack. Come on, here. come on, give the guy oh, a but break. But you, you have to, you have to count the early 2020 just natural winter hibernation period for Thornberry. Yeah, <laughs> my sleepy time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for our first, the first episode on our little, yeah. little can mini we, series. On can call. we can we quickly mention my new sweet shirt? That's a that's a sweet shirt. That's Where did you get shirt. that shirt from? Oh, from the geologyflannelcast.com website. Hey, were you able? It looks like you were able to customize that t-shirt a little bit. I did. I, I it's funny. I ordered it right after Christmas, right before New Year's. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get a green t-shirt with the red flannel. It's gonna be a sweet holiday t-shirt that i can wear every year i heard you're going to mod it to have like the the flashing christmas lights on it too i i might possibly it depends mm-hmm. it depends <laughs> on, it depends on how fat i get between now now <laughs> and next christmas so I, i'm already uh you know i i i ordered it and it fits great but now i'm already worried with the amount of beer that i'm drinking in 2020 that 2021 is not going to be any different and i'm going to get another 20 pounds so but other than that yeah that and drinking my coffee out of my new geology flannel gas coffee mug (laughs) you know i'd show you my stickers but they're on the back of my car right now i'm telling you any anything i need hoodies yeah yeah, like we got uh the like the long sleeve tees short sleeve tees hoodies uh, go to uh, geologyflannelcast.com, click on merch, and check out all this fun stuff that we got. Um, that yeah, we're... for you, oh, for you no, old so... people, merch means merchandise. It's not. It's just you. You're the. You're, everybody knows that. Okay. It's, it was, it's that... not true. I, I, There's I some know. old people who don't know what merch means. Okay. Well, for Steve, merch means merchandise. <laughs> but um, you know, so. If you'd yeah. like to help out the geology flannel cast a little bit, um, you get some cool, some cool flannel cast gear out of it. Helps us out a little bit. Helps us, um, you know, some of the upgrades and stuff we're we're planning on with this podcast. But um, also, if you'd like to, another way to help out the podcast is to become a Patreon member, a Patreon sponsor. We have several tiers, uh, starting at just two dollars a month, less than 
a cup of coffee. I got Starbucks today, and look at you. Allegedly, I got uh, uh, potentially a, a coffee from a Seattle-based large coffee company. I actually I treated myself more than two dollars. You treated, I treated yourself. My, I treated myself to a, a cup of Dunkin' this morning. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. A Boston, formerly Boston-based. Yeah, it's when Megan, Megan left early for work today. Normally, we brew a cup, pot of coffee, and I got lazy and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have a diet cup. <laughs> wow, she's gonna cut to the chase here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. the point I was trying to make is two dollars a month not is much. less. It's less than the cup of coffee. It's less than what I paid this morning for my Seattle-based large coffee company coffee. Yeah, and if you want to do that every day, you know, if you want to give us sixty bucks a month, we're okay with that too. But you can <laughs> yeah, start just off replace your and Seattle-based coffee with a Patreon. So we got. Uh, with the diff- <laughs> I love it. That Chris, right Chris just dismisses me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Steve. You're an idiot. <laughs> See what I have to, every week I have to deal with this. Uh, <laughs> So we have different tiers. Uh, you can we have uh, Patreon friends listening to the uh, the live recording of the podcast right now, um, mm-hmm. chiming in. Um, we uh, we hang out before the we have a little Zoom hangout before yeah. the podcast starts after the, the podcast ends. The chats are coming in. They all say I'm hilarious, Chris. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what <laughs> chats you're looking at. <laughs> the chats I'm seeing, people are saying they're going to gouge their eyeballs out in about thirty seconds. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, the chats are coming in right now. Just they they are. Dot, and dot, dot. They're, <laughs> they're not in my favor. <laughs> so, anyways, you can have all this fun with us with the uh, on uh, uh, with our Patreon friends. Uh, yeah. So, uh, if you have uh, every once in a while, we'll do a, a a listener questions episode. So, if you have any geology questions, uh, send them our way. Um, you know, once we, once we get a um, every once in a while, we'll we'll just have a whole episode where you uh, we answer questions, and so you can submit those on geologyflannelcast.com. And um, yeah, geologyflannelcast.com is a pretty cool place. You should probably just just check it out. Uh, uh, make it make it your homepage. Make your homepage. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so also uh, check us out on YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. We put up all the videos, the podcasts up there. Uh, we're on Twitter at geo flannelcast. And then we're on Facebook, uh, geology flannelcast on Facebook. And that is all of the social media stuff. So with that being said, uh, thanks. And oh, thanks, Maddie. Also the Instagram. How many posts we got on the Instagram, Steve? Uh, up to two now we we're up two, to two. two one one six years ago one this year so if you'd like to watch a train wreck mm-hmm. uh, instagram page you can check us out on geology final cast geology <laughs> final cast on our instagram i don't even know uh i'm gonna leave it up to maddie our instagram <laughs> follower our our one instagram follower all right. But, yes. So the, the, uh, we're, we're getting Instagram there. All right. Similar. All right, you kids. I'm so getting ge- there. That, thank you, Maddie. Thank Geology you flannel class. Geology flannel cast on Instagram. Yes. Uh, all right. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad Instagram page. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. We're, we're working on. It. Come on.
You can say that, but if you're not doing anything, nobody's working on we're it. Right? In, we're in the storyboarding brainstorming. Yes. Okay. We uh, really I, want to put no, together was, a full product. I was not aware of any of the storyboarding. So oh, <laughs> thank you for listening. Listen, to you'd the- already do too much, Chris. We, we, you know, we try to help you out the best we can. <laughs> you're right. And my stomach ulcer can prove that. Right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. And we'll see you guys with part two of the call episode next week. So stay tuned for that. uh, And take care. Be safe out there. Bye. Bye. Good.